opening and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. True crime stories are discussed in this podcast, which may contain graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Summer. And I'm Jennifer. And this is episode 19. We're almost to 20. One more. Uno mas. So we're coming off of rosé. <laughs> rosé all day. Oh, of course. So... Drink of choice. <laughs> if it's not a margarita. If it's not a margarita. We didn't want to make margaritas because we wouldn't be able to record this podcast. So we kept it light. Yes, we kept it light with the rosé, but it still, it hit good. So this is episode 19, The Haunting at Fox Hollow Farm. And if you haven't listened to episode 18 yet, which is about Herb Baumeister, listen to that first. Yeah, Summer covers all of the horrible murders. Yes. And so we're going to talk about the property and the people that live there now. And, you know, they had all these paranormal investigations happening so just to let you know (laughs) when i was researching this i was scared (laughs) at my own house (laughs) i was perturbed i bet i only read one part and i was like i can't read this right now i'm gonna have to wait you will not be disappointed (laughs) i'm ready i'm ready for it ready to be spooked okay so Fox Hollow Farm is a place where a serial killer, or Baumeister, who we talked about, committed his heinous crimes. This property is still standing, and it's a lived-in private residence, which a family occupies in Carmel, Indiana. And it's actually really pretty. It's a Tudor-style home. It is, and it's huge. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so big we dropped the H. <laughs> So Robert Graves is the owner of this house, and he's an expert on the Fox Hollow haunting. And how great that his name is Graves. True. I didn't even think about that. His backyard is a gravesite. It is, essentially. Prior to purchasing the house, Robert was looking for a specific type of property. So he wanted a house that had enough land to raise horses on. Okay. So that's a lot of land. That is. I think in Georgia you need at least five acres per horse. Oh, per horse. I think so. Interesting. I don't know what the rules are in Indiana. I don't either. But this land had 18 and a half acres. So he could have a substantial amount of horses. At least... Don't do math right now. (laughs) Three. At least three horses. If it's five. (laughs) Three and a half horses. (laughs) He could have three horses and a pony. Yeah. And some goats. In Indianapolis, it can be hard to find that much land for an affordable price. In their search, they came upon a large 10,000-square-foot Tudor-style home with nine bathrooms, four bedrooms. And why they have more bathrooms than bedrooms is interesting. Well, that's because Herb was urinating all over (laughs) so they needed extra for the guests. Now it makes sense. It's a little bathroom obsession. It's a urine (laughs) obsession. But it also had a library, an indoor swimming pool, two large stables, and an apartment situated above a spacious garage. This property wasn't far from where they originally lived, and though the price was steep, $2.8 million, they knew that the house was worth more, and he asked his realtor friend, Andy, to set up a showing, and he said he'd see what he could do. Okay. So Carmel, the area where this house was located, was voted to be one of the best places to live because it had great schools, great neighborhoods, and offered great quality of life. It's got a fabulous name. Was that Caramel or Carmel? 
Carmel. I thought it, no. No. It's Carmel <laughs> by the sea in California, but Caramel, Indiana. I don't even know why I'm arguing about the Just go. Why are you doing this with, with me on I my episode? I, I pronounce everything wrong. <laughs> no, I pronounce things wrong all the time. So I don't know why I'm even, yeah, you go. I believe it. It's, it's Caramel, Indiana, Carmel, Indiana. It's all of it. Carmel with the E-L. <laughs> <laughs> They asked why such a house had been vacant for so long, and that's when they were informed of the serial killer who used to live there. At the showing, he drove down the long, winding driveway and noticed that the property was pretty shabby and worn down. It needed a lot of work. That didn't deter the family, however, and they decided to check out the house. To their surprise, the house was very well built, and they learned that it was built in 1977 by a doctor and his wife. This was their dream home and spared no expense in the construction of the house, hiring the best builder in central Indiana. The chandeliers were imported from Venice, Italy. The fireplace mantles were all antique, and they had custom-made stained glass windows for the study. After viewing the property, the family had to consider some things, like the amount of work that they would need to, to do on the property, the history of the house, and the cost of it. Ultimately, they decided that this would be the chance of a lifetime, and they decided to buy it. There were haggling negotiations about the price at first, so they backed off, but the owner of the house reached out and accepted their offer because it was the only offer made. Mm. Like, nobody else wanted this property. Nobody wanted the murder house, no. Except for Mr. Graves, you go. It goes so well. It's kind of perfect. Their first night there, they all slept together, which... If I was moving into a haunted house, yes, I think so. Yeah, of course. After settling in, they realized that the amount of work the house needed was more than they anticipated. There were plumbing issues, electrical issues, and I'm sure, (laughs) as you can imagine, there were pest problems. They even shared the residence with some wild raccoons who took residence in the attic. But don't worry. These weren't the ones on the news? (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't think they were related. The raccoons were humanely evicted by a wildlife expert. The grass was about four feet tall on this 18-acre property, so it took some time to cut it down to where horses could move comfortably around. See, that's where the goats would come in. You get some goats, they would totally handle the grass. And on the topic of their yard, strangers would also show up on the property, likely true crime or paranormal aficionados. Summer Jennifer <laughs> taking a selfie. With our binoculars. <laughs> it's like, what can we see can we on see this property? Any bones? Do you see any ghosts? <laughs> they were curious, obviously, about this house. I'm sure. Sometime after moving in, Vicky was working on the household chores in the swimming pool room. She was vacuuming some dirt that their boys had tracked in from playing outside. While doing this, the vacuum suddenly shut off, and she noticed that the plug fell out of the socket, which is not abnormal. That happens to me sometimes. But she figured, you know, maybe she just moved too far and the cord came out on its own, so she shrugged it off. She plugged it back in, continued what she was doing, and then it happened again, but the cord was still slack. So... Yeah, it wasn't caught on anything. Right. She saw that it was about one foot away from the socket, which was weird, but just plugged it back in again. Moments later, the plug flew from the socket to across the room. While this happened right in front of her, she also stated that she felt a presence in the room that didn't want her there. That's some serious electrical issues. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen a plug fly across the room. They don't usually fly across the room. And Vicky was a scientist, so, I mean, her natural inclination is to find a logical reason. So if it did spark, she probably would have mentioned that. Several months later, Robert had a co-worker who was looking for a place to live. His name was Joe LeBlanc. Great name, LeBlanc. It's very fancy. 
So Robert kindly offered Joe to stay in the apartment at his house. After checking it out, he delightfully accepted. He was like, yes, I'm all about this. I'm ready for this. <laughs> Quite an adventure. I mean, even after knowing about what happened there, he was like, I'm on board. Yeah. The apartment was accessible inside the house, but there was also wooden stairs that led to the outdoor entrance for privacy's sake, you know, so he didn't always have to go into the house. He yeah. could just enter from Separate the outside. Separate entrance. Yeah. Okay. So Joe moved in and Robert and his family helped with the process. On his first night, he recalled having a terrible nightmare being chased in the woods by something sinister. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. And he bolted up from his sleep and he was in fight or flight mode. So he was running and then he accidentally slammed his head. Oh, he's one of those where he actually plays out his dream a little bit. I think he was just freaking out. And oh. he was like, I need to run. Because in his dream, he was running. So he's like, I have to get away from something. So he carried his dream on into reality. Maybe it was that vivid, huh? Wow, that's scary. So he hit his head, he fell to the ground, and his head was throbbing. And he was just kind of like trying to figure out what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> but he just kind of chalked it up to knowing what happened there. And maybe it was just in his subconscious. Yeah, which that seems like what it is to me. Knowing he was at this house where a ton of people were murdered and were buried back there. and Yeah, it got to him. So one sunny day, Rob was working on the house, and he heard his wife pull into the driveway. He hurried over to greet her, and he showed her, like, what he was working on. He was excited. But Vicky was distracted, and she looked startled. She said she saw someone in the yard off by the woods on the side of the house. That's creepy. Okay. So the wandering trespasser was a young man with a bright red shirt. The man's back was to Vicky, so she couldn't see his face, and he looked to be just, like, on an afternoon stroll in their yard. Oh, my gosh. Before calling out, she realized that the person didn't have limbs from the thigh down. Stop it. And the apparition disappeared right in front of her eyes. So maybe a victim of herbs? Maybe, but at this point... Rob's thinking maybe someone was in the yard, so he's going to check it out. Without limbs, they're just walking around his yard? Well, he said, maybe your eyes are just playing tricks on you. Okay. So he okay. went to check out the woods, but he didn't find anyone, and then he joked with her saying, looks like you might have seen a ghost. Mm. Oh, gosh. The Here irony. Go. Here we go. A week into Joe's move, he was standing at the sink washing dishes, and when he heard a knock at the door... He yelled that he'd be just a moment, thinking it was Rob or Vicky, but the knocking persisted and gradually grew louder. Fred, his dog, was alarmed by this and started growling at the door. When he opened the door, nobody was there, and there was no place for someone to hide if they wanted to play a prank. So That's was like, terrifying. Right. And maybe it was, I don't know, branches hitting... Branches? But I don't know, like, if it's a windy day, branches hit the side of the house, I don't know if that I mean, could maybe mimic not that. like a knock, though. And, like, from the picture of the house, it didn't look like there were any trees really close to the doors. And you would know a knock compared to, like, a tap from a branch. Yeah. I mean, I would, but here's me just trying to think of different possibilities. You're being like me right now. Trying to debunk Is this what it. Rosé does to us? It makes you the debunker and me the believer? Maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> But later that day, Joe asked the family if someone knocked on his door, and they confirmed that it wasn't them. But Fred was terrified. You got to believe the dogs. The dogs usually are good indicators if there's yeah, something going on. Because there's no reason for them to act any certain way. So if they, like, sense something, they're going to just respond. Yeah. They're not swayed by the Zach Bagans of this world. We'll talk about Zach Bagans. Oh, is he in this? He's in this. Of course. <laughs> 
Later in the evening, he attempted to just shrug it off and go watch some TV. Suddenly, he saw some sort of movement from behind him in the kitchen and the bedroom, but Mm -hmm. he overcame this and went to investigate. Okay, how do you overcome this? I'm sorry, but if you see something like moving through your house and nobody's there, how do you overcome that and go search for it? I'm out. I'm done. Yeah, but sometimes they think maybe it's just my mind playing tricks on me. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm just scared and overthinking things. And was Fred freaking out again? At this point, no. Fred was fine. Okay, so then maybe they were like, okay, Fred's fine. I'm fine. Could be. Okay. With all these events happening, Robert installed a security system, which seemed to alleviate some anxiety for the family. About a month into Joe's move-in, he was taking Fred on his typical evening walk. They heard something moving around in the woods to their left, and Joe assumed it was a fox or a squirrel. I mean, all that land, there's going to be wildlife. Raccoons. Yeah. (laughs) Could be anything. Fred sent something he didn't like, and his ears perked up as he stared at a specific part of the tree line. He started to growl, and Joe figured maybe he was just being a dog and reacting to the wildlife. Joe didn't put a leash on Fred, usually, because he was pretty well-trained and didn't seem to have issues listening to him. But today, he suddenly leapt towards the woods, and Joe was startled by seeing a figure in the woods walking away from him. It was a man wearing a bright red shirt and blue jeans, just like what Vicky saw. He said that the figure looked like a real person, even blocking some trees, but noticed that his legs were transparent, and then he disappeared right in front of him. At this point, Fred had run deeper into the woods. Joe luckily brought a flashlight with him because he had to reluctantly search these seemingly haunted woods. So he, wait, this was at night that this happened? Evening walk, yeah. So Joe brought his flashlight. He was going to go into these woods. And good on Joe for not leaving him because every time we bring up a dog. That's right. Like in Skinwalker, they left the dog. Yes, but he went after his dog. Yes. I like Joe. And Mothman. They and Mothman, they left the dog, too. Leaving right. the dogs, man. Not this, not Joe. We appreciate that. <laughs> so the deeper he went into the woods, his unease increased, thinking about all the bodies that were found on the property, because this is obviously after they uncovered all these bodies. <laughs> That's got to be creepy. So he was walking until he got to a point where all he could see around him were the outline of tree trunks and hanging branches. He shined his flashlight to the left of him and to his shock, about 20 feet away, he saw a man in a red shirt looking at him. Again? Oh, my. Oh, but no, this time no, no. it was looking at him. Uh-uh. Yeah. That's got to make the hair on your neck stand up. Right. When a ghost is making eye contact with you. Oh, because they have eyes. They don't have feet, but they have eyes. Yes. I'd rather they but have the, feet. And the first two times, this ghost is walking away. So what do you say to a ghost if they make eye contact with you? You run. You run? Why do you run? <laughs> Wouldn't you be like, hey, so, what's your story? Well, at this point, I guess they don't know who this ghost is. Oh, so was it like Herb, is what you're thinking? We don't know. But either way... It's disturbing. You're walking in the woods, you see someone looking at you. Who has no limbs. It's terrifying. <laughs> and then Fred's not around. No. Aww. Immediately, fear took over, and he ran off without a second thought, just like I would. Yeah. And he was overcome with deja vu, thinking about the dream that he had on the first night that he stayed there. <gasps> when he was there. running through the woods. Oh, so he had like a premonition. Yeah. Oh. Yep. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I believe in premonitions. Definitely. So Fred soon caught up with him and they reached the house together, not looking back. After Joe calmed down, he talked. <laughs> Fred was like, I'm out of here, too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, deuces. <laughs> Vicky said that she saw the same figure and in that same general area. 
And Joe also stopped taking Fred on walks in that same area. You think? Uh, yeah. At night. I'd be done. Yeah. He was probably like, Fred, cut it off at dusk. We're not going there anymore. That's right. And only in the daytime. Fred got a new schedule, <laughs> a new bathroom schedule assigned. <laughs> <laughs> Two months after he moved in, Joe told Rob and Vicky that he found something that he thought was a bone in the woods. Rob was used to performing autopsies on behalf of the local coroner, so he was familiar with the human anatomy. Wait, wait, wait. Mr. Graves is also an autopsy technician? <laughs> oh, this is getting better. Okay. I know. It all comes together. I like it. You're showing me things I didn't even notice when I was taking these notes down. <laughs> so after taking a look, he decided that it did look like a human bone, although it seemed it was old and chewed on by some animals. But figuring that it could only be a victim of Herb Baumeister, he contacted the forensic anthropologist at the University of Indianapolis, and they told Rob to send a photo of the bone to them. They got the photo, and they were not able to tell if it was a human bone, so Rob ended up bringing the bone to them. When he looked at it, he could tell it was a human left femoral shaft, which is the bone in your thigh. And it was decaying for about 15 years. Assuming it was missed in the initial investigation, he signed it over to be stored for examination purposes. Wow. Yeah, so they're potentially still uncovering human bones at that property. That's crazy. Yeah, I imagine that they're probably still finding bones. Probably, yeah. Joe was awoken from a deep sleep by frantic knocking on the door no. to the apartment. Fred growled and he called out asking who it was. There was no answer, and Joe immediately knew it wasn't Rob or Vicky. He got out of the bed and made his way towards the door, still yelling. The closer he got, the knocking became more and more urgent. He could see the door shaking and rattling against the knocks. He swung the door open, but nobody was there. That might be even worse than seeing an actual ghost is something like that, where the ghost is just messing with you. It seemed like the ghosts here like to do that. Yeah. So he looked at the door and noticed that the door knocker was lifted at a 90-degree angle, defying gravity, because this door knocker was metal. So there's no way it was too heavy for it to just be hanging at a 90-degree So degree. it was like the ghost was holding it up, like, I'm yes. about to knock again. Yes. And then <laughs> as he was watching it, the knocker comes down slamming uh -uh. and then <sighs> goes back into its natural resting state. I'm done. For sale. Well, Discount. this is not his house. <laughs> okay, I'm out, guys. <laughs> Lease broken. <laughs> Goodbye. Evacuated. <laughs> He's evacuated. <laughs> so he searched the apartment, but there was no sign of an intruder, leaving Joe feeling uneasy. He felt... And this wasn't a dream. No. Because remember, the last dream he had, he woke up and he slammed into a wall. Yep. Is this like brain damage from that? And then he's having all these weird dreams. <laughs> brain damage. I don't think he hit his head that hard. Okay. <laughs> Just looking at all angles here. Fair, fair trying enough. Trying to make it impossible, because that's spooky. Yes, it is. And so he searched it. There was nobody there. But when he went back to his room, Fred was hiding under the bed, and he was growling and looking past him. Then he heard a loud screech of the doorknob to the entrance of the apartment, turning, because it needed some WD-40. So he could... <laughs> It is an old house. Exactly. So he could hear, like, that rusty screech. Oh, no. That's even worse. So you know it's not just your mind at that point. Yeah. So he approached the area. He saw the knob moving back and forth. The knob stopped in place, and then the door flew backwards on its hinges, slamming into the frame with enough force to shake it. 
Then a cold gust of air brought in leaves in the living room and a man appeared in front of the open doorway. He was a young guy, looked to be in his 20s, and he was different from the red-shirted apparition. His face was one of terror and he was running away from something. After a few steps, the figure disappeared and left Joe and Fred feeling terrified and confused. So Joe began to wonder if the dream he had was connected to this apparition that he saw in the doorway. The figure was running away, terrified of something, just like in his nightmare. And there is a theory that this could be a replay of some sort of natural recording that takes place in situations involving intense emotional encounters, leaving a sort of imprint on the area, which can be viewed by other people who are capable of perceiving it, similar to like how we view something on TV. Yeah, I kind of believe in that stuff a little bit. Especially if you have like that. I know you when you say psychic, it already kind of sounds gimmicky, but or some people that have that sixth sense, they right? Have, yeah, they yeah. have that sense. Yeah, I think I believe some people have that. And I think Joe probably had some he of that. He must. Well, yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> came in the door. <laughs> yeah, he's experiencing some things. Mm hmm. Joe's thoughts are a bit different because he thinks maybe these are victims that are making themselves known and need help moving on into the afterlife. The events that happened in this room could be replaying what happened in the past, but obviously this is speculation, can't be confirmed. Right. Joe, Robert, and Vicky felt that they needed to look more into what happened at the house. They read articles and watched what clips they could find and were horrified at the details of what happened. They just started doing this? <laughs> they didn't do this when the right. realtor was like, so there's, you know, 11 to 22 bodies in your yard? They didn't think it was haunted. They were like, bah. Him being an autopsy technician, Mr. Graves, he was like, nope, it's fine. I think so. I Probably. think they were just like, you know, we'll be fine. We don't believe this. Okay. Yes. And now that all this stuff was happening, they're like, let's kind of look into let's, let's what see what's happened really here. going on. Mm -hmm. While watching clips from the news, Joe paused the video and his face had gone pale. He stared at the screen and pointed at the TV and said that the man he saw in his room was the man that was on the TV. So Vicky and Rob asked if he was sure, and he said he was 100% certain because that's a face he would never forget. Yeah, if it busts in through your door and there's leaves blowing in, you're not going to forget that face. Exactly. So it makes it seem pretty credible. After this incident, the kids, Joe and his friend, were at the pool. They were enjoying this time, free of worry of any paranormal activity. Joe dove into the deep end of the pool and then rested by the edge. As he was taking a break, he felt man-sized <laughs> hands grasping at no. his neck. Uh-uh. Kind of on brand with what Herb would do. He would in the pool. People. Yeah, he yes. strangle people in the pool. So he's feeling strangulation in the pool. Yeah. He was startled, but he figured it was his friend playing a prank on him. When he turned around, he saw that his friend was about 20 feet away, along with the kids. So feeling confused, he swam to the middle of the pool, trying to figure out what just happened. Suddenly, the hands were back, gripping tightly and dragging him into the water. He held his breath, flailing around, trying to remove the hands, but nothing was there. The grip released, and he gasped for air frantically. That's like poltergeist-level haunting, like where it can actually touch you and pull you. It's like pulling you into, like, a portal or something. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> I can't imagine that's something you want. No bueno. His friend and the kids looked at him thinking that he was just joking around, but he insisted that everyone needed to get out, and he never swam in that pool again. That's smart. When is he going to move out and evacuate? <laughs> I, I think he just didn't want the ghost to win, so he was like, I'm sticking around. I don't care. 
Like, you're not going to scare me into leaving. Maybe. Like, listen, this is my place. F off. Get out of here. Yeah. Some time had passed after this, and there was no more knocking or seeing apparitions. Joe felt like he could relax now. One night, he was sitting at his computer desk close to his front door. He heard a scraping sound by the kitchenette and went to check out what the sound was. He found that his kitchen knives had been taken out of storage and were now laid out in a row in the sink. Okay. I would feel uneasy. Yeah, a little bit. He turned to look behind him and noticed that there were knife marks carved into the wall. He didn't know... So he didn't know if those marks were there previously, and maybe he just noticed them because of this incident. Oh, okay. But that freaked him out. Yeah. Instead of living in fear, he decided that he was going to get to the bottom of the paranormal activity that was going on. He took out a voice recorder and an EVP reader, which is an electronic voice phenomenon reader. That's where they record and they hear the little, like, whispers and stuff like that. Hello. Yes. If you've seen any kind of ghost investigation. My name is Maud. I like caffeine. That would be you (laughs) as a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) He turned off all of the mechanical and electrical devices that could cause disruptions in the sound waves and started to ask questions while the recorder was on. A few minutes went by, but nothing happened. Then Fred started growling and staring at something in the air. Joe turned off the recording and listened back. He could hear his voice asking the questions, Is there anyone here with me? Who are you? Who is it I hear in my kitchen at night? And to his surprise, there was an answer back. The married one is what it said. The married one. So is that Herb? So because there is no known victim of Herbs. Herbs. That was married. Herbs. Herbert. (laughs) The Bow Baumeister. (laughs) The Bow Meister, yes. Since there was no married victim, the only assumption was that it was him. Yeah, I guess so. Because his wife was still living at this time. They had sold the house, but she's still alive. So it can't be her. The author of the book states that the EVP was a Class B recording, meaning that it was muffled and not entirely clear if that's actually what was said. That being said, it is clear that a male is speaking and it's not Joe's voice. Joe would state that he'd see figures in the woods that were not the entity in the red shirt, and he said that they looked blacker than black, and other people reported seeing them too. What other people? They had people investigating the property, so they would report seeing Like Zach Bagans? And others. <laughs> and others. <laughs> but on the topic of Zach Bagans. He always comes up, doesn't he? He does. Somehow every episode. He has come up. Yeah. In all of our ghost episodes, right? Yeah. Ghost Adventures contacted Rob and asked if they could investigate his farm. Vicky and Rob agreed to this and Zach let their son dress up and appear for one of the dramatizations. On the day of the investigation, Rob gave Zach the keys, and the family spent the night at a hotel. Zach was eager to get started, and almost immediately, they heard a loud bang from the pool room, which was empty at the time. The investigators provoked who they believed to be Herb's ghost, and Zach claimed to see a white mist coming from the game room next to the pool room. They got a Class A EVP recording of a man saying, Help! Next, they took a SB7 spirit box, which is a radio scanner that jumps from different frequencies and allows spirits to speak to the living in real time. Zach asked the spirit what its name was, and what they heard back seemed to say, I'm dead. He also asked who killed him, and they believed the voice said, I don't know. He asked how many people were killed in this house, and the response was, Herb did it, in a clear tone. Zach said that he felt this throbbing pressure in his chest and his heart rate picked up. 
When investigating the woods, Zach asked if anyone was there, and the voice said, "I'm here." The investigators stated that the area where Joe stayed had a very negative energy. They picked up the voice from inside the closet, which said, "Getting close." They performed a thermal camera sweep on the property, but it didn't pick up anything. Before the team left, Billy, one of the members, was breaking down the equipment in the house. His flashlight dimmed itself and then sprang back to life. The infrared cameras picked up an unusual light over by the kitchenette, which is determined to not be from the flashlight and is unexplained to this day. Hmm. They didn't really find much. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, he found more at the Amon's haunting one, huh? Yeah. And anything, honestly, anything that Zach finds is kind of questionable anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's hard to think it's credible. It、stuff. is. Yeah. Over the next few years, the family invited a number of psychics and paranormal investigators to investigate the property. Some said that the victim spirits remain on the property, and others state that Herb's spirit is still there too. After Joe moved out, mediums came to try and help the spirits move on to the next life, but it's hard to say if that was successful because paranormal activity is still active there. A shaman stated that there were Native American spirits on the property, but they stayed to the back of the property and weren't really bothering anybody. Okay. There were accounts of inhuman entities that occupied the space. One, an elemental nature spirit that lurked in the woods outside. Richard Estep was an investigative writer that reached out and wanted him and his team to investigate the property. Naturally, they agreed. Richard and his team were used to debunking the paranormal and would use every technique in the book. Their first trip to the house was in November of 2016, and it was raining that night, which was ironic for an investigation at a haunted house. Rob showed Richard and his team around the house, and they decided to set up base at the bar because it was a large open area with room for comfortable seating and tables for them to lay out their gear. The equipment included an EMF meter, static and video cameras, thermometers. Laser grids, air ionization meters, motion sensors, spirit boxes, and etc. I don't even know what any of that stuff is. <laughs> what? Very spirit box. Is that something you get at Spirit Halloween? No, this is expensive equipment. What does a spirit box do? Does it, it trap lets, the spirit? No, it lets the ghosts speak to you on different frequencies. Oh, okay. Wouldn't that be the EMF reader? So you can hear it in real time in the spirit box with the spirit box. Yes, with the voice recordings, you have to replay them to hear. Okay, you're like an aficionado with this stuff, aren't you? I had to. I listened to a five-hour book about it, so <laughs> I should know what I. <laughs> They set up cameras and laser grids around the pool area. The laser grids are basically lasers that appear in a grid-like fashion, and like if a figure disturbs the grid, it'll be caught on camera. Okay, it's like that's how they kind of keep track of stuff. While getting the equipment set up, one of the team members, Cletus, noticed a figure darting back and forth by the back wall of the pool. It caught his eye because it had broken many of the laser beams. Cletus's camera was facing the grid and should have been able to catch this. Another member, Sean, downloaded the footage to see what it caught. Nothing happened for a while, but then they saw something dark pass across the top of the screen, disturbing the lights. Then moving back the way it came. After seeing this, they attempted to debunk it by having one of the team members like go back and forth. They thought maybe this was a real person wandering around down there, but Richard objected because it was like in the middle of a storm on private property. 
When they suggested it could have been one of the family members, he called Rob and asked him if any of his family, including the dogs, were outside by the pool area in the past hour, and he confirmed that they were not. After midnight, the team performed an EVP session by the pool room. Because that's when you do it. Yes, Mm -hmm. at night. This is when the ghosts come out. It's the hour. Sean, another member of the team, went to test out the area by the pump room, and he said that he felt some energy there. They regrouped to join him. They set up a voice recorder and turned off their phones to cut off any electrical signals in the vicinity. Richard called out to the spirits, but the energy was flat and received no response. The team eventually got sidetracked, leading them to have conversations amongst themselves, but then Sean started to hear the sound of disembodied voices. They couldn't pin down the location of where they were coming from, but they saw a shadow figure move around the base of the net towards the swimming pool. The thermometer had read 66 degrees, and the laser grid began to dim and then died a few moments later, which was weird because it just had brand new batteries in it. Were they the cheap ones, though, like the Rayovac? That, like... (laughs) They have to get the good brand because they know... This is what ghosts do. This is what ghosts do. They drain the energy from the batteries. Yep. That is common, isn't it? It is, yep. They even admit it in the book. The team discussed what their next move would be, and they decided to play 80s and 90s music. Always a good choice. (laughs) Because that would have been popular in the gay bars. And they wanted to try and, like, attract those spirits. Okay. They wanted to attract the fabulous spirits. Yeah. Nice. So they set up recorders and spirit boxes in anticipation, but nothing happened. So they were not drawn to the music. They were like, it probably weren't playing the right thing. Were they playing Britney? Or Madonna. Or Madonna. See, they didn't. We don't know. It was a bunch of straight guys. They didn't know what to play. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Another member, Arthur, pointed to a window asking, who is that? But the rest of the team looked and no one was there. They thought someone or something was playing a game of cat and mouse, or maybe it was just playing a prank. The equipment they set up would have definitely caught a human on a camera if someone was attempting a prank. So they knew that wasn't the case. The team set up chairs along the wall facing away from the pool door, and another EVP session took place while asking the same questions. They heard a noise to the right of them and saw that the door handle next to them was jiggling. Aaron, another member, yelled out that it wasn't locked so they could come in, thinking that it was someone from the team or the family. No one answered, so she went to open the door and no one was there. She checked the staircase in the connecting rooms but found no one. No voices were found on the recorder either. That's creepy. I don't like the ghosts that don't show themselves. You'd rather them show themselves? Maybe, yeah. Because then I would just think I'm dreaming. (laughs) Sure. Right? Yeah. The whole team reconvened at the pool, stationing themselves equidistant from each other and the pool. Sean stated that he could feel negative male energy towards the center of the pool. He said that the entity absolutely did not want them there. After asking some questions and hearing some whispers, the team decided to go back and listen to what they gathered. Unfortunately, the audio they obtained didn't capture any of the whispers they stated to have heard. While taking a break and eating some snacks, they were interrupted by the sound of footsteps on the stairs. This alarmed them because the Graves family would have been asleep at this time. It was the family dog, Winston, which was strange because the door should have been shut to the basement area, but it was hanging wide open. The next morning, Rob confirmed that no one was awake to open the basement door. But it's an old house, and if they even left it cracked, the dog could have nudged it open. That's true. So you're not sold yet. I'm not sold on that one now. Okay. The next day, the team returned to the house, and the rain had stopped. Richard wanted to test out a different method. The spirit board. Here we go with the spirit board. 
Rob was not a fan of this because psychics from before warned him that this would be dangerous, so they decided against it. Instead, they tried a different method called the human pendulum. Now, this is a method in which a person volunteers to be a sort of vessel for the spirit to speak through. That sounded safer to him <laughs> right? than using a box to have them speak through? Let them use my body? Yeah, well, I don't know the thought process. I don't here. understand that at all. And I don't know how accurate that is when you leave it up to a human to be the vessel. I just don't know. Right. Like a Ouija board. Are they moving it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the process is a person volunteers to be the vessel. The vessel will move their body forward, backward, left, right, or an emotion deciding on which direction means yes and which means no. Richard says that this has a 40 to 50% chance of working, and apparently, if you tell the spirits that only the good ones can speak through the person, that will keep the dark ones away. Does that work? <laughs> like it's, in life, you just say bad people stay away and they stay away? So maybe in death, it does work. Well, that's good to know. Okay. In real life, I say, if you're not a good person, stay away. Stay away from us. Yeah. <laughs> Would you be a vessel? Would you do this? I don't know. I'm, I would try it, but I don't know how accurate it would be. I would try it just to see, like, if it worked. If it worked, yeah. Would you? They don't want this vessel. But do you want to be a vessel? I don't want to be a vessel. Okay. No, because who knows what type of message would come through. It'd be some weird message. Okay. So you're like, no. <laughs> My body has its own problems. It doesn't need to speak for other people. Well, it's a skeptical method because the body is prone to micromuscular motion which is also similar to what happens when using a spirit board, being that the hands are prone to micromuscular tremors in the hand, like we said before. They chose the pool area for this location, and Richard volunteered to be the human pendulum first. While this was happening, Sean felt someone's hands touching his, like they wanted to hold it in a friendly way. Erin volunteered next, and she said she felt like she was being pushed from the back, almost making her fall. Yeah, yeah. see, I, I just fall all the time. I couldn't be a good vessel. No. Work. You wouldn't be accurate. Mm -mm. <laughs> I'd be like this. But look, she just fell off the chair. Nope, that's just me. <laughs> I'm just clumsy. Because I'm just clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> we need a sturdy vessel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not me. So Joe came back to have an interview with Richard on his encounters. He states that he believes that Fox Hollow Farm is haunted by seven different entities. Herb Baumeister, five of his victims, and the Elemental. He states that the elemental lives in the back of the property, and one of the psychic states it's demonic, but it's not something that is certain. This would be the figure that he stated was tall, thin, and blacker than black, and that flitted back and forth in the woods. As the talks continued, Richard asked Joe if he'd be willing to try to bring the spirits out, being that he seemed to be the one encountering most of the paranormal activity. It's kind of like a catalyst. Oh, and Joe was okay with this? Well, I guess with a big group of people, he may not be as worried about it, huh? It seemed like he like he was afraid, but he wasn't going to back down. Okay. So he agreed and said that most of the activity occurred in the pump room, and they hurried to set up in that area. They set up REM pods, which sense energy changes around its antenna, a K2 meter, which measures electromagnetic energy, and the tri-field measures EMF levels. <laughs> Joe, what is that? Electromagnetic frequency? Yeah. Joe warned them that he liked to provoke Herb. And as he was doing so, the energy in the room was off the charts and was coinciding with the provocations coming from Joe. Richard stated that he felt someone sinisterly caressing his arm, which unnerved him. Aaron was poked in her back firmly with what felt like two fingers. 
With all of her encounters, it seemed like the entity did not like females being present on the property. Hmm. After the session was over, the team felt drained mentally and physically. Joe seemed to feel cathartic being able to get his anger out and not having to hold back. So he was like, yeah, take that. <laughs> take <Herb>. that, Baumeister. <laughs> Creep. Yeah. So Joe left and the team went to take a break and indulge in some snacks. Arthur went to use the bathroom and Sean waited patiently for his turn. During this time, Sean felt two fingers firmly poke him in the small of his back and he reflexively said, what the? And a voice answered him back. Arthur heard Sean's voice and another from the outside of the room. Later, Sean found that his fully charged camera was dead. They tried another EVP session, but nothing happened, reinforcing the theory that Joe was the catalyst for the activity earlier. While Arthur was outside on the patio, Sean was inside by the bar reading the Lord's Prayer out loud. Three loud thuds echoed around the room that they both heard. Richard asked the family if something happened upstairs to have caused the noise, but everyone was asleep at this time. So maybe he didn't like that Lord's Prayer. Who knows? Maybe not. On the third night, they planned to get into the pool. The room was surrounded with their usual equipment, and Richard stepped into the water. He headed into the deep end where Joe had his encounter and came out unscathed. Then he swam around, keeping his attention near the pump room. He turned on the voice recorder and asked Herb some questions like, how could he do such awful things to people? When he addressed the victim's spirits, he was respectful and stated that he hoped they were at peace. He got out of the pool and the team went inside to see what they captured. In the video, Richard was resting by the side of the pool and talking about how cold he was. While he was speaking, they caught a very distinct voice saying a single word, Laura. This struck a chord with Richard because Laura is the name of his wife. Oh. Weird. That's weird. This was the last night on the farm, and the team packed up their equipment, getting ready to head back home. As they drove towards the gate, the team took a photo together, knowing that they'd have much footage to review. Richard knew they'd be back for more investigation. So 18 months later, Richard made his second visit, and this time they'd widen the investigation to include Joe's apartment, which they didn't get to search the first time because a family member was staying there. Okay. Rob stated that the paranormal activity had quieted down, and this is probably the most common it had been since living at the house. He also stated that he believed that the spirit was showing up on the property was an inhuman entity which disguised itself as Herb Baumeister that was drawn to the property because of all of the horrible things that happened there. The team this time included Jason, Caitlin, and Anna, who are all skilled investigators. The first night, the team decided on performing an EVP session near the woods next to the burn pile in the back of the house. The four set their voice recorders down and asked respectful questions, being cognizant that this was essentially a gravesite. No voices were recorded as EVPs when reviewed. They then headed to the locker room, then the pump room. Once setting up their recorders, Caitlin asked if there was a non-human entity in the building and was surprised to hear a screech in response. They wondered if maybe it could be an owl, but the sound definitely came from inside, making them doubt that theory. Even when outside, they never heard any owl make a sound like that level of volume. So they think it was a spirit? They think it was that inhuman entity. The, the one in the back of the woods? Yeah. Oh, the woods entity? Yes. Oh. And it was weird because that response came right after she asked the question. So timing, a little strange. That's a little strange. 
Once again, Joe made an appearance to help with the investigation. This time, they'd investigate the apartment where he used to take residence. When taking in the memories of his stay there, he looked at the door and said that every night at 1.45 a.m., there would be knocking at the door. Seven knocks specifically. No more, no less. This also happened to Rob's son who stayed there. Here's that interesting theory again with the residual phenomena replaying again and again. Mm-hmm. So what's the significance of the seven knocks? Maybe that was something that happened. I don't know if seven knocks was Herb's way of, hey, I'm coming in here or oh. making my presence known. And his victims Maybe. Scared. Yeah. Richard then asked Joe the question, do you still believe that it's Herb's spirit that's haunting this place? Joe answers that he now believes that another entity is posing as as his spirit. They set up SLS cameras in the bedroom, kitchen, and closet since those were the spaces where the most paranormal activity happened. The camera uses a matrix of dispersed infrared light to detect entities that are normally invisible to the human eye. Joe suggested they pay special attention to the closet area because apparently women found it difficult to be in that area. The closet is also one of the areas where a portal is reported, the other being the pool area, stated by several mediums. Because they think he did strangle people in the pool. He did, yeah. And then maybe he did in that changing room, too. Yes. There's a lot of negative energy in the locker room and the closet and the pool. Joe even said that he wouldn't use that closet because he couldn't stand being in there. Caitlin went in to see if she could feel anything, but stated it just felt weird and she couldn't really pin down why. Now, attempting to get activity in the kitchenette, Joe walks towards the sink asking questions. The investigation team stayed back to observe the cameras. On them, they could see the figure representation of Joe. And after he was speaking, they saw another figure appear next to him. It was small, like a toddler, standing directly right of Joe. He said he could feel something touching his hand, and then he jerked back saying something pushed him in the center of his chest that felt like a couple of fingers. After that, the figure disappeared. So all these ghosts just poking people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just like with two fingers, just poke you. That's their MO. Why? Just get out of here. I wonder if it's a specific ghost that's doing that. The harassing ghost. They want to harass the people there. Yeah, just get out of here. I'm just going to annoy you with my poke. Seems like he's enjoying that. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, the team started an EVP session in the Graves' private bathrooms, but didn't find much. They also heard footsteps in vacant rooms. They searched the stable areas and tried swimming in the pool again, but no activity. Richard recruited an outside investigator. Her name is Lisa, and she had previously investigated the property. The women performed an EVP session in Vicky's room, but didn't expect much because little to no activity had been reported in that area. Lisa stated that she saw a white cat walk out of the room, but nobody else saw it. Another moment in the day, she felt something brush against her leg and saw that it was a white tail. Was there a cat? <laughs> well, it was the white cat again, and she saw it walk away and disappear into thin air. She asked Vicky if they owned a white cat, and Vicky said no. But that's also not the first time someone's reported seeing a white cat on the property. So the ghost white cat. Okay. Including Vicky. She said that she's seen it, too. The ghost kitty. Aw. Yeah. I wonder if it even cares. It's like, I don't even care that I'm a ghost. Whatever. Just wandering around. <laughs> Catching ghost mice? Those ghost mice. <laughs> Can't even save themselves in the afterlife. <laughs> Rob brought another person to partake in the investigation. A psychic named Brian Sanders. He came highly recommended based on previous interactions with Rob. 
A few years ago, he spoke to him about the spirits on his property, saying that they were not happy about the many visitors that were coming to the property and disrupting them. What convinced Rob that Brian was the real deal was that he asked him who Helen was, which was his wife's mom's best friend who was now deceased. He then asked who Aunt Jean was because she was a spirit that was also present. He was skeptical until Brian could state who these spirits were and who they were related to. There were also additional encounters with friends and family that reinforced his belief that Brian was legit. So Brian stated that he could feel much residual energy in the basement where they were. So they moved outside to the yard to get away from the energy because it was overwhelming Brian. And they spoke about like what the intentions were for the investigation. Richard stated that he wanted to find out what was going on there and to find some way to help the remaining spirits pass on. Brian said that he wasn't sure how much activity he'd get because some of the spirits already passed over and Herb's spirit wasn't there. However, there was another entity there that took shape because of all the negative energy in the area. This aligned with what was said previously. He said that the entity resides mainly in the apartment and warned him that if he makes contact with the spirit, negative energy could attach to him and follow him around. According to Brian, this entity takes the form of Herb Baumeister, or it claims to be the I-70 Strangler, to toy with people. When asked if Herb was an accomplice in the murders, he states that, to his knowledge, he worked alone and committed the crimes by himself. He also added that Herb took his own life and was not executed, because I guess there was speculation that he was killed and didn't commit suicide. Right. They think Herb had an accomplice and that the accomplice actually executed him. But I don't think so. He said that Herb's crimes were so heinous that his soul is kept in a special type of purgatory so as to not be able to communicate with this world. Good to know. Yeah. (laughs) But scary to know. Israel Keys is there, too. We hope so. But isn't it a scary thought that some other entity could take the form of a serial killer and, like, harass people in the afterlife? Yeah, so those are just, what, the jerks that we meet every day who die, and then they're like, I'm just gonna, you know, mess with people. Yeah. Pretend I'm a serial killer. And use this M.O. to kind of scare people. Yeah, but the real serial killers cannot communicate, apparently. If this is true, then there's obviously bad spirits, these entities, right? In the the woods, the Mm -hmm. inhuman ones. Where are they from? I don't know. I need more answers. (laughs) It's things that are unknown to us. Okay. Richard asked Brian about the portals around the house, and he confirmed that they are definitely a real thing. He said that the strongest one is at the bottom of the pool and is a greenish-purple color with hands rising out of it. Apparently, there was always paranormal energy on this property back when the Native Americans resided there. The negative energy caused the portals to form and open. When they got to the topic of psychic energy, Brian confirmed that Joe had an extreme amount of psychic energy but can't control it. The entities could sense this and they'd reach out to him. They talked about the incident at the pool when Joe felt hands around his neck, thinking it was Herb grabbing and choking him. But Brian says that he got caught in the whirlpool of the portal and the hands grasping at his neck were ones that emerged from the portal. But then what about the hands that grabbed him on the side of the pool? Were those from the portal, too? So the portal's at the bottom of the pool. The hands can't come up further. I don't think so. At this time, Brian and the rest of the team went to investigate the apartment. Richard asked Rob if his son ever encountered any paranormal activity here and confirmed that he did hear knocking and footsteps and he'd see shadow figures in the same places that Joe did. It wasn't as often, and he learned to ignore it after a while. 
Rob asked if anyone ever died in the apartment, never having a real answer. And Brian said yes, and insisted that everyone be careful and act with compassion. He said that the inhuman entity would not be able to be mistaken as one of the victim's spirits because it would overwhelm you with fear. As Brian was leaving, he asked if the team had brought sage for protection. They said no, and he said he'd bless the house for them and said if they were in danger to imagine a white light shielding them. And of course, Brian was looking at them like, you fools. Why wouldn't you bring any... (laughs) No sage? Any protection. That's like the the basis, right, of all protection from evil spirits. You bring the sage. Even I know that. Sage, salt. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the salt. Yeah. I know that you, you can sage a house, right? You just walk around with the sage. Yeah, but they felt like they were reprimanded. <laughs> He's like, what kind of ghost hunters are you, idiots? <laughs> Don't even have the sage. I know. He's like, let me help you out. <laughs> the team set up their equipment to record any activity that would happen while they retreated to the hotel to get some rest. Caitlin was the last person to leave, and she left the patio securely shut but unlocked per the Graves family as to leave the team easy access during their investigation. Richard was asleep in his hotel room when he received a call from Vicky. She asked if they were downstairs because she heard the patio door open, and he said it wasn't them. When they arrived back at the property, they spoke to Rob, and he stated that he searched the patio area and didn't find anyone or anything missing. It didn't seem like a break-in because they didn't take any of the expensive equipment. It was just an open door. Hmm. An open door in an old house. That's a ghost. Not. (laughs) Could be. A patio door? Like the sliding doors? Was it the screen? It was the door. The glass door. It's the glass sliding door. But there's all these people going in and out. They say they closed it, but what if they forgot? It was closed by one person, and they said they closed it shut and didn't lock it. They just... So then anybody could just go and open it. You know, one of the other guys. That was when the team left. But were they all gone? What if somebody was like, listen, I need to use the restroom. I'm going to just run in there really quick. And leave the door open? Of course. Yes. No. <laughs> Jason took the memory card from his camera, hoping to find some kind of audio or visual on what happened in that room. Around 5 a.m., when Vicky heard the patio door open, there was a sound of metallic rattling, which didn't sound like a metal door sliding. They tried to turn the knobs on each of the doors to replicate the sound from the audio, and the most similar were the knob on the entrance to the basement door and the knob to the door on the wine cellar, which were both locked. Hmm. So it didn't capture the door sliding. It captured someone trying to open the doorknobs. That's strange. Tony Harris, who we spoke about in the previous episode, is one of the surviving victims of Herb and also one of his lovers, according to Tony himself. He agreed to be interviewed by Richard and participate in the investigation of the farm. It's worth noting that he didn't want to be named and didn't accept any money for this participation. Tony is an alias, so we'll respect that. He was a great storyteller, very charismatic and captivating. Tony gave the team insight into Herb's character, saying that he usually kept mannequins around the house because he didn't like to be alone and would refer to himself in third person or call himself HB. He's on another level. Herb was... He had some things going on in his brain. Yes. Each mannequin had a specific backstory, and only he was permitted to touch them. Tony referred to Herb as Brian, or more specifically, his kind family man persona, which you mentioned when when they they first met. Yep. When they first met each other, he introduced himself as Brian Smart. Yep. 
Herb was the name for the vicious, ruthless killer persona, and he believed that he was demonically possessed. He would confirm that there were shadow figures on that property, some being helpful and trying to ward off people from certain areas of the house, like the locker room. <laughs> Don't go into the pool or the locker room. Yeah, exactly. He said he also encountered a spirit named Albert who was killed by Herb and told him his story. Albert said that he was a street hustler that Herb paid for sex. But when he tried to choke him, Albert tried to leave, and that's when Herb shot him in the abdomen. He fled for his life and got lost in the house, ending up in the pump room and bleeding to death. Albert is not a named victim, so we can't confirm if this is true or not. Yeah, and I don't know if any of his victims ever were shot that they reported. Everyone was strangled. Yeah, so we don't know if this is true, but it's uh, it's interesting. Hmm. On the final day, the team headed towards the back of the woods while trekking down the trail and feeling like they were being watched. They set down some recorders and began to dig in the area where Tony said that there would most likely be human remains. The recorders picked up the words gentle and grave, so they dug in a more careful manner and spoke in hushed tones, remembering that this land is essentially a graveyard. They were relieved when they didn't unearth any human remains and headed back to the house to take a break. Richard put on his noise-canceling headphones to listen to the captured audio. The audio captured the team speaking amongst themselves while digging, and on the EVP, the words, Get away from there, were spoken in a groggy male voice. Hmm. Now, Herb didn't have a groggy voice. I think they think it was maybe one of the former owners, like an older man. Oh, like maybe the original owners? Yeah, could be. Hmm. But who can say? That same night, they headed back into the woods to continue the investigation. Caitlin headed off by herself near the burn pile. She took her flashlight, shined it around to see herself surrounded by tiny green lights. When she closed in on the lights, a spider scurried away from her, and she realized that those lights were spider eyes glowing in the night and surrounding her. Just a bunch of spiders? Yes. It's like Netherworld all over again. Yes, but these are real spiders, so I would be scared, because you know me and all those legs. I would be out of there. Done. They turned on the EVP and stated that this was the last night they were there, and if there were any spirits that wanted to speak to them, now was the time. When they returned to the house, no voices made themselves known on the recording, so they just packed up their equipment to leave. Richard and the team left the investigation, feeling like they had more questions than answers, but it was done now. He states that it's one of the most fascinating investigations he's ever done. At this point, Rob states that the amount of paranormal activity has died down and they've come to live with what comes with that property. So if you're interested in reading about this property and the hauntings, the majority of the research came from the book written by Richard and Robert called The Whores at Fox Hollow Farm, if you're interested in the deep dive of what happened here. It sounds like once Joe left, the ghosts were like, eh, there's nobody here that we like to play with anymore. There were not, like, big encounters like that that happened after... After Joe, Joe left. left, yeah. So but there were still, like, little some things. things. So what is it about Joe? That he just got under their skin? <laughs> I guess he just had that sense, and the ghosts knew it, or the spirits knew it, and they wanted to just mess with him. See, I kind of, like, Richard, his investigations seem a little more believable to me. Than Zach's? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I know. I totally agree with you there. Even just because he didn't find a lot of stuff in the second trip, it just seems, like, more realistic. 
than Zach Bagans fighting the demons himself <laughs> in the hallway. I know. I know. That's why I think what they found was more credible. Yeah. I think that place is haunted. If I believe in hauntings, yes, that place is definitely haunted. The door thing alone freaks me out. Yeah. And like I said, when I was researching it in the middle of the night, I was like, uh, I got to take a break. Yeah. Oh, man. Would you ever go there at night in the I, woods? I don't know. With a big group? Maybe with a group of people. And we're all joining arms with, <laughs> yes. with a bunch of Rottweilers to protect us, maybe. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll consider. But just hearing those stories, it's a little scary. And even, like, the family members that are living there state, yeah, we get we hear knocking and see figures and... See, and then they're okay with that. And I've known people who have said, you know, they live with ghosts in their house and they just learn to deal with it. But how do you learn to deal with that? I don't understand. Just I, get used to it. No, no, you don't. How do you get used to it? I don't, I don't understand that. I don't know. That's why we needed Rosé for these episodes, because there's a lot of... Calm the nerves. A lot of anxiety and yeah. spooky things happening here. Yeah, that's probably a spookier house than any of our previous episodes, I would say. As far as hauntings, that one, it's, yeah. a, it's a little too real. This one spooked me out maybe even more so than Hello Kitty. Oh, really? Because Hello Kitty really got you. Did you have any dreams? No dreams. Okay. I'm no going to have some tonight. I, I <laughs> tell you tomorrow, Jennifer. <laughs> I Yeah, I can watch happy things and have nightmares, but... Me that's too? Anything, but... <laughs> But yeah, so this one, it was very interesting. And so I thank Judy for giving us this great material. I know. This has been a good two-parter. It was fun. Yeah. Because then we could text each other and be like, did you know that this happened on the property? Yes. That's probably my favorite part about it was since we were doing basically related episodes, you would text me and do you know so-and-so's name and da-da-da-da? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that right now. And, yep. And it was exciting. It was. It was cool to just go back and forth and then like, yeah. I, can't, I can't wait till you hear about this part. And yes. Like, maybe like, oh my gosh, what part are you reading? Oh, just wait. Yeah. Like, I can't read anymore. <laughs> well, that was a good one. Nice work on that. Thank you. <laughs> good job to us. <laughs> our first collab. Yay. A rosé collab. Yes. Hopefully uh, <laughs> we don't sound drunk. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we have next on our list? So I'm planning on doing the one about Larry Eiler. Larry Eiler. Because okay. it's kind of related to the I-70 Strangler a little bit because he was one of the suspects. But his crimes, as you'll find out, were definitely different than Herb Baumeister's and the I-70 Strangler, who is, I think, Herb. So another crazy one. Another <laughs> serial killer one. Yes. So until next time. Stay caffeinated. Get hobbies. And don't murder people. Please. And thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>